Hello, and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm joined now by Alex Stewart. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm not too bad, how are you? I'm good. Wasn't today's episode fun? I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> so we were joined by uh, by Heels Brower, uh, who uh, is uh, runs a company SportsSci. Uh, he's from the Netherlands. And um, I came across his name in uh, a piece written by... Uh, Adam Crafton for The Athletic, which is all about the use of data in football. It's really interesting. And it opens with uh, this anecdote about Memphis Depay and his agent. Um, and so for context, the story goes, Depay is uh, struggling at United. Jose Mourinho isn't using him and he wants to leave. But to ensure that he doesn't end up in the same situation again, his agent consults uh, Gilles company, SportsSci, who uh, create, created a list of clubs that he would suit. Um, and Leon was on that list. And uh, Depay reportedly refuses other offers from, you know, uh, bigger clubs, air quotes, to move to Leon, and has since scored uh, nearly a goal every other game, which is, uh, as you will agree, an incredible success story. Um, Alex and I were particularly excited by this story because it's Obviously, it's very similar to something that we do on the YouTube channel and on the podcast, Sensible Transfers. Now, obviously, we do that from the club perspective. We pick a club and uh, we identify problem areas on the pitch, and then we go out and use data to look for players to fill those problem areas and uh, in the form of a solution, right? And I don't think I'd ever really considered doing it the other way around before, which is essentially what this is. Um, isn't that fascinating, Alex? It is fascinating. Uh, I, I think it's... I think it's interesting that that players are getting more interested in their own metrics. I mean, he, you know, Gilles did talk about how sometimes the the language needs to be finessed around that because they they don't speak analytics; they speak football, um, and there's a, there's a degree of translation involved there. But I think players are becoming increasingly aware, probably through their club's own use of analytics, actually, of 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 how they play, what's expected of them. And therefore, in terms of, of getting the best out of what is still always a relatively short career, it makes a lot of sense. I, I think there are interesting questions around the shift towards player power as well. You know, to what degree players will be driving moves on that basis as opposed to, you know, just looking for the next big payday, that kind of stuff, the role of managers. There was loads and loads of things that came out of that conversation. It was really interesting. Incidentally, uh, if you would like to read the Adam Crafton piece, which I, I highly encourage you to do so, um, you can get a 90-day free trial, which is three months free of The Athletic. Uh, if you visit theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO90, that's the numbers nine zero, um, there's a 90-day free trial. Incredible. I mean, you could read that Adam Crafton piece about data, I would estimate, you know, thousands of times. <laughs> there is other stuff available as well. You don't need to just read that over and over again. But I will because it's so good. Um, anyway, uh, here is the episode with uh, Kiel's Brower. Gilles, how common is it that a player dictates where they want to move in this way? Because we're very used to the idea of clubs having analytics departments and scouting for players using data. But uh, I don't think I've heard of many instances of a player doing that to find a club. Is that common in your experience? I think it's becoming more common. Um, now, the, the elite players, um, they all have a really direct opinion about what they are looking for. And when they have a minimum release clause or something, they can basically select to which club they want to go. Um, so I think it will be more common in the future, but it starts to get there already. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So with Memphis Depay in particular, then his agent comes to you guys and uh, says, you know, can you come up with a, a list of, uh, of club names that Memphis might suit? How do you go about that process? What sort of questions do you ask him and, and what information are you looking for to provide a list like that? Well, I think data is always a support to in the entire decision making process. So you have to really start talking to the player. And when you talk to a player, usually they don't use uh, data verbs, so they start talking football language to you. So when you talk to a player, he says, okay, I'm looking like Memphis Depay, when we went to him, he said, um, I want to have faith. Um, I want to have the trust from my coach. I want to uh, play freely and open, and I want to be able to play my own game and be the attacker that I want to be. And then you have to translate that into uh, data language. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So at Manchester United, he had to defend a lot. Um, and that's basically what he meant by his lack of freedom, uh, that he wanted to have the op- opportunity to actually attack a lot and don't have all the defensive uh, tasks that he got from a coach like Mourinho. Um, and then you dive into his player profile, PSV and the Dutch national team and why he was playing well there. And then it's important that you don't analyze the, only the team, but also the coach and how they are playing. Right. And what kind of uh, metrics are you looking at in, in Depay's case, for example? He says he wants to play with freedom. So what, how do you hone in on that? What, what is the data language there? Uh, well, um, we try to dive in as deep as possible, um, but mainly we're limited to event data. So the, the data where you have all the passing information, uh, the dribbling information from where to where the ball went. Um, so... When you talk about he wanted to be the most influential player, so then you take a look at which left wingers or left forwards um, are weaker than him in his team, whilst the team is still at a good level. Um, But also when you talk about freedom, so do the wingers have to do a lot of defensive contribution? Um, Do they have to, is there direct play? Um, How is the, the passing speed on average in a team? And how do they um, counter press, for instance? And that's all things that you can derive from the data uh, of a team. That's fascinating. So when Leon comes out top of your list, for example, are you also examining their tactical setup? Are you looking at it purely in, in data terms? Or are you also looking at the team and saying, OK, well, the left winger tends to cut in a lot in the system that the manager prefers to play. And uh, therefore, Memphis would be suited to this team as well. Is it, is it to that extent? Yeah, yeah, basically both. Uh, what we also saw, for instance, now Ziyech, um, he's moving to Chelsea. Um, and what Chelsea lacked at this moment is that they didn't have a lot of cutback passes. And Ziyech is one of the best players in the world in cutback passes. So if they want to have a different tactical style um, and they needed a player that's actually quite good in that, so getting to the, um, to the final, uh, final line and then play the, uh, the pass back to the striker, um, then Ziyech is the, the right player. So you take a look at where the player is good at, uh, where he contributes most, and what the team is usually doing a lot. Um, but if they have a different profile, then look if he's the right player to do that, actually. Um, and in the Depay instance, you said, you mentioned at the beginning that you want to find a team that is, is suitable for him, but also is, is of his level. How do you ascertain that? How do you, how do you choose which clubs uh, are of his level? Is that as part of a conversation with him? or Because presumably you can't really point to that in, in the data as easily, right? Uh, well, um, we have an index that actually quantifies the quality of every individual player. Um, so you do have uh, an understanding about the level of the team, but for instance, he said, I don't want to go to Russia. 
Right. Um, so then you just eliminate. He, he said, I want to play in a top five competition. Uh, so then it's easier. You don't have to take all these clubs into consideration. And when you went through the process with him, how long does that take? How long does it take for you and your, your team to go away and come up with, with a list? Uh, back in the days, it took us, I think, um, approximately 10 days or something, one and a half week. Um, but because he was the first player who actually uh, came to us. Um, but I think right now um, the report is semi-automated. Um, so it will take us a few hours. Wow. Okay. And so in his case, when you when you met him and spoke to him and his agent uh, and you presented him with the list at the end and said, look, Leon is top of the list, what was his reaction? Like, I mean, as a, as a player, as you describe, who, who talks about it more in football terms rather than in data terms, when the result comes out the other end, how did he react? Um, he actually quite liked it. Um, well, there were five, list, five clubs on the list, so we don't say uh, Leon is on top. So we just say these five clubs um, suit your style. Right. And they can afford you. Uh, because we don't, I don't think that you can absolutely be sure that it is the right club. It can also be that um, the club is signing a new player um, all of a sudden and the club falls away. Um, so, well, I think I'm still in touch with Memphis. Um, uh, Memphis wrote a book, um, Heart of a Lion. And in his biography, he mentioned that his turning point also was that we visited him in Manchester and it actually got his career back on track. Oh, wow. So that must feel amazing. Yeah, it was bizarre. It's also because th these guys are your idols. I was at the World Cup in uh, Brazil. Yeah. I watched him play there. And um, even though uh, it's not my favorite club, uh, but his playing style and his agility, it's, I really loved him as a player. And then all of a sudden when he's asking you, for career advice, um, yeah, that's uh, pretty bizarre. Even just being with him on the couch or when he's been with the Dutch national team, he asks you over. Um, yeah, it's uh, pretty cool as a football yeah. addict uh, or, or fo to, uh, to, to join these guys. Yeah, I bet, right? I mean, in terms of um, the services that you offer with SportsSci now, is that it? Is it, is it consulting with players um, and helping them find uh, solutions in terms of clubs or, or, or do you offer uh, work with clubs as well? Because obviously clubs already have their own analytics department. So how does that all work? Well, actually, this was a side product of ours. Right. Um, what we usually do is that we help the football clubs to recruit the right players. So Liverpool, uh, for instance, they have their entire quant division. Um, but many of the other clubs can't afford to have their own full data intelligence department in-house. So we work with over 50 clubs across Europe uh, where we help them with the recruitment of players. Um, and then we thought, okay, if we can help clubs to find the right players, can we also help players to find the right clubs? Um, so it was actually a side product that came out of our uh, uh, player recruitment, data-driven player recruitment uh, platform. Um, and it worked out uh, quite nicely in uh, this case and uh, some other cases. Do you know, it's like, it's, the thing that makes it really interesting to, to us, I think, is that uh, so on our YouTube channel, we run a series during the transfer windows uh, called Sensible Transfers, right, where we do our own kind of very rudimentary, comparatively, version of what you guys do for clubs, where we take a look at a lot, a lot of the data and try to suggest a player who might suit a particular role. Um, but it's always from the club's perspective. And I don't think I'd ever really considered doing it from the 
player's perspective to more. So for me, it's kind of um, it's sort of mind blowing that that of course makes sense. Of course, if you're Memphis Depay, you would want to uh, you would want to uh, consult a data science team to work out where's best for you to go. And presumably, the success of uh, of his career so far at Leon um, is a massive calling card for you guys as well, right? Because you you picked the right team. He's doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. And that's also uh, well, I, of course, everybody loves it when a plan falls together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that's really cool. And also when you hear from some other players that he used to play with or where he plays with in a Dutch national team and they reach out to you for, like, can you help me as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the word spread, spreads out really fast. In terms of, um, of management, uh, uh, there's a few questions I have. The first would be, have you extended this service to uh, assisting clubs with managerial recruitment? Because... This kind of leads on to my second question. Obviously, the way that that player acquisition works or placing of players works is very, very dependent on system. And different managers have different systems and privilege certain styles of play. So obviously, you it's it's in your interests as, as a recruitment company to to have a degree of continuity and style. And it seems like a lot of clubs go from a manager who plays one way to a manager who plays really quite differently. And obviously that would upset the advice that you're giving that club. It would upset the advice you're, you're giving to players. So are you, are you now branching out into doing this with management as well? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, it's one of the things we did with the, by analyzing coaches, we did it for the Belgium national team during their uh, uh, World Cup journey. So we work with uh, Robert, uh, Roberto Martinez uh, because he wanted to analyze all the coaches he faced during the World Cup. Um, so we built a report on how they were usually playing and um, how he could um, actually see their patterns uh, from his uh, from a management point of view. So how would they substitute the players? How would they attack? How did they do it with their teams? And did they change it um, at the national teams? And usually they have had the same pattern. Um, so we don't help a lot of clubs by um, signing new uh, new coaches. Uh, we do help them sometimes by finding a new technical director, um, by evaluating their transfers and the success of the team after they signed or before they signed. Um, but I think many of to have a consistent club philosophy, it would be great if you have coaches that think the same or feel the same. Or uh, like if you're Ajax, you want to have a coach um, that actually uses their youth academy. Um, when you're in the Premier League, um, you might want to have a team that uh, doesn't concede a lot of goals um, against the weaker teams. Um, so those strategies, I think they should be integrated in the entire uh, uh, club philosophy. But I don't think the elite clubs uh, do that a lot at this moment. Do you, do you think that for an elite club, the most important appointment is actually a director of football? I mean, if you look at the success of someone like Mikel Zork at Dortmund, for example, that's really set the tone for the way they recruit players, but also coaches. Uh, and it seems that, that that role is increasingly what sets the very best clubs apart from the ones who can afford to buy good players but aren't thinking as strategically. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a really good point. Um, because that sets your strategy, and I think it all comes back to the strategy and how you utilize your strategy. Um, and if you can find the young players earlier, of, or if you find, you don't have to be 
um, the best in everything. But if as long as you're the best in what you want to achieve, you can become an outlier in a competition. Um, and I think that's uh, one of the most important things uh, right now in football. So for clubs that don't have uh, consistent managers or don't have directors of football or, or any kind of real footballing strategy, of which I think there are probably like, there are fewer nowadays, but there's still a fair number of them in the Premier League, for example. At least from the outside, it seems that way. Um, are those sorts of clubs unlikely to appear in a in a list for you that you might present to a new player, Gilles? Because I'm thinking, uh, I don't know, a good example. Manchester United might be a good example, actually. Who you know, who've, who've changed their coach uh, relatively frequently over the last uh, five or six years, whose playing style has completely changed. I'm sure the 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 data reflects that as well. How is it possible for you? to put Manchester United in, in a list for a player when it's very difficult to determine what exactly they're doing or whether they'll be doing the same thing in a year's time. Yeah, probably we'll take a look at the last half year, how they played back in that half year, um, how the coach is playing and what the current team style is. Um, but we won't uh, say to a player, don't go to that club. Um, but it might be a suggestion to take a look at the consistency. Um, but still, uh, we would advise a club like that in, uh, because it can also be a huge financial, if, if just, uh, we have multiple metrics um, the player can select on. If financial success um, or financial earnings is his biggest um, point for him, then Manchester United could be a really good club for him. Right. Um, yeah. Or maybe even China or uh, Russia. Right. Um, but as long as you say, okay, I want to make a first right step before I can actually play at Manchester United, yeah, then uh, then there would be a lot of other clubs that would probably um, lead in top in in terms of uh, predicted success. Right, and in your experience with speaking with players and 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 doing work like this, do you find that uh, with a club like Manchester United, let's stick with the same example? The players know right about the consistency. They know that it's possible that Solskjaer won't be the manager in, in a year's time, or at least they know based on uh, you know the events of the last five years that the club is not a particularly stable place. Presumably, behind the scenes, th they know this and that impacts their decision making. Right? I mean, it's said and it's often like quoted in the media that players look at Manchester United or clubs like that as a sort of payday. Is that is that true? Yeah. Do you think? Well, I think it is true for some level. Um, I think United, in this specific example, uh, they still have the benefit to be one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, same for Arsenal. Um, but I think where these clubs, what is, I think a shame is that, of course, what both clubs have, um, have the same is that they had a manager who ran the club for how many years? Uh, with Wenger and uh, Ferguson. Um, and then all of a sudden the entire club strategy had to change because the most important guys left um, and surfacing such a change whilst all these guys were involved in everything um, that's really hard to uh, to come over in, in just a few uh, few years so I think the club will manage to go through um, but still I think I know the players they feel the same about it but as long as it's a legendary club um, and you can always say when you uh, when you tell your grandchildren I played for Manchester United, and um, that still feels different than saying uh, I play for another club. In terms of, I mean, you've mentioned Arsene Wenger, Roberto Martinez as well was 
a guy who brought a lot of um, innovations to the Premier League uh, in terms of you know the use of uh, opposition scouting and so on. Do you find that 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 there are that the large body of managers are receptive to this, or is it something where because of the increased role of directors of football, the increased power of players individually? That, that managers are actually kind of now in a sort of squeezed middle where they think, you know, these decisions are being taken out of my hands. I'm becoming less integral to the running of a club. And that creates a sense of resistance towards this sort of thing. Because if a player is advocating a move because of a certain kind of style thing, then, you know, maybe there's a manager out there that they'd, they'd rather be working for and they might be advocating that they bring that in if a director of football is looking to acquire a certain set of players they might have an eye on a manager that would be better suited and it seems like the managers become perhaps increasingly vulnerable in this position because of that yeah that could definitely be the case um i think there are two types of managers uh, around one that uh, because also the manager job has become a lot more difficult over the years um, it's not only that you have to manage the players, but you also have to have an opinion about the youth academy. You're also partly a, man, a marketing tool now for the club. Um, so you have a lot more activities next to the, uh, uh, to the training and the managing of, uh, of the team. Um, but what you do see in most cases, the manager does have some kind of veto. Uh, so you can say, well, this player does definitely not uh, fit in my team and then the club can sign him, but he won't play anyway. Um, so usually it goes in close collaboration. But he, I think in the past, the relation with the agent was more of influence um, because if the manager had the same agent, for instance, it was easier to sign a player from his agency. Um, I think that will decline a bit now. The market is becoming more transparent. Um, but his influence is definitely decreasing compared to uh, 10 years ago. Yeah, do you think that there are, sorry Joe, do you think there are uh, managers who, who, well, have you ever been in a situation either working with a club or a player where you know that the data is showing that, that that player would be a really, really good acquisition for that club, but the manager is unable to see that that there's maybe they can't read the data or maybe there's a resistance to the idea of data generally and you're kind of left thinking this would be brilliant if you could just accept what we're saying but for some reason you're not yeah yeah you, you do see that quite often <laughs> yeah it's also um i know data only um does not always reflect the full uh, scope of a player for instance, his personality is hard to track um, by only uh, watching the data. Um, but sometimes you just see a player, he's... Um, ju just take a look at Ziyech. Uh, um, his playing style was always fantastic. Um, I followed him, I studied in uh, Twente, where he used to play before he played at Ajax. Um, and he was already fantastic over there. Um, but they say, well, um, he's a, a Moroccan player. Um, he seems to have a bad attitude. Um, I don't want him in my team because he could um, disrupt the team balance. And sometimes if that's, well, if you take a look at the data, he was incredible for five seasons already. Um, 
but yeah if that if you can't see through that then it's hard to uh, to convince them otherwise um, just like a player playing in uh, Russia um, yeah he's playing in Russia he couldn't be good because he's playing in Russia um, or in the French well you had the same with the French second division um, a few years ago um, nobody was watching them and then suddenly two good players came from there and everybody was suddenly scouting that competition um, but there are more hidden gems in these competitions that the clubs don't see the value in analyzing them because they don't know the competition or know the background from these players. That's really interesting. I mean, it it, it brings to mind, you know, the conversation about um, about the, the the trust, I suppose, of uh, of analytics and data at clubs. I mean, we we are running a video um, this week on uh, Arsenal and their data science department, or what was originally Stat DNA, I think they were called. Um, and there's a little bit of conflict at, at the moment because reportedly Raul Sanier, he prefers to run things within his own network. Um, it seems like he prefers to sort of speak to agents that he knows and and take their advice on players and that that sort of thing, which um, is a bit of a well seems from the outside perspective, if it is true, to be a bit of a backward step uh, in terms of what Arsenal always had a bit of an advantage in, in, in doing. Um, I know StatDNA had been, been around for, for a very long time. How long has, has Sports Side been around? And do you mind if I ask you, Gilles, how did you get your start in, in this sort of work? Um, well, I think Sports Data actually, StatDNA was one of the first, uh, I think they were the first company that actually didn't focus on data, but on data intelligence. Um, so I think Jason and his team uh, did a really great job uh, by actually getting the attention of um, of Wenger. Um, and I hope the club continues like that because um, it can help you by identifying the players in an earlier stage. Um, the benefit of having a lot of contacts with the agents is that the agent have agent have some market information. Um, that you cannot see from the data, for instance, what the player should cost. Um, but I think it could always be in a close collaboration together. Um, for myself, it was actually, I was a student um, at the uni and I played too much football manager. <laughs> um, yeah, it's always the same, eh? Yeah. Um, so I, I played, yeah, all the t- football manager all the time. And then I thought, okay, um, the... One of the chairman of the club, he gave a guest lecture at the uni um, and he told us how they recruited players. And I thought, okay, how can you do it like that? Um, Because when I'm playing football manager, I know all the talents of Colo Colo. Um, I just scout the competitions and I just find these players. Um, So I sent him an email. um, So I just guessed his email address. um, (laughs) And I said, okay, I have this idea. Can I uh, come uh, come to your club and talk about it? Nice. And, and then he welcomed me and I had a chat with the technical director um, and he said I, I have no clue what you're talking about but it seems like we can use this um, uh-huh. and then I did my thesis about it and uh, during the Euro uh, tw- 2012 um, I uh, went with uh, my roommate to the Ukraine because he was a Ukrainian guy um, and I got a text message from a head scout and he asked me if I could help him um, with finding a player. I thought, well, if this was just from my internship, might be something in there. Um, and that's, that's actually when we decided to start a company out of it. Wow. Well, that's that's amazing. That's, that's a, that's, I love the idea of guessing someone's email. I feel like that's something that uh, every successful person has done at some point. Yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of finding hidden gems, and, and obviously I, 
I played a lot of football manager as well and it's it's one of the fun things when you you come across somebody who's really good that you've not heard of um and you were saying about uh, league 2 in France for example given that given that there is this proliferation of of data that's available now how do you find hidden gems? I mean, you know, people have been aware of, well, not aware of, but people have been looking at League Two in France for players largely since Kante and obviously people coming out of La Havre. Is is it just that the gems are still there because people aren't looking hard enough? Or is it that they you need to focus on different markets now and maybe it's it's the Czech top division or it's the former Yugoslav republics like how how are those people still out there to be discovered when people like you are across all of football uh, well I think every club has his own way of thinking what their ideal profile for a player should be um, so if you're looking for um, a really strong defender, well, it's probably smart to take a look at the Serbian players because they use t- they tend to do good in the Premier League, uh, st- strong Serbian defenders. Um, but if you take a look at the uh, the French competition, there's still a player there. Uh, his name is Kiki Kouyaté, um, a defender. Well, I know for sure that every data-driven football club has him on his radar now. Um, but still, you can sign him for a pretty good price. You're giving away the expensive so information for free here, Gilles. Well, yeah, <laughs> if, you look, if you're looking for a British player, uh, Jack Tucker will also definitely make a move this summer. Where's he, where does he play? Oof, I'm checking out really fast. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, Jack Tucker is playing at Gillingham. Okay. Oh, how interesting. I've never heard of Jack. Have you heard of Jack Tucker, Alex? I can't say I have. Gilles is, is you, so deep into the game. Look at that. Gilles, yeah. do, you, do you get kick when you come across somebody whose metrics just stand out to you even if you can't because it's one of those weird football manager things is that they like they are and they aren't real people you know it's it's like a spreadsheet with a graphic overlay so you're you're kind of combing through these numbers and there isn't it's almost like there's not a person attached to it, which sounds like a terrible thing to people who hate football stats are going to kill me for that comment. And obviously <laughs> I know what you're saying about adding in video analysis and psychological profiling and all of that stuff. And clearly I agree with that, but, but you know, you're trawling through stuff and somebody comes up, you think, Oh, I, I need to tell somebody about this guy because he's amazing. Is that must be fun. Yeah. But it's also pretty frustrating. Um, because you, yeah, if you know the football manager feeling where you actually fall in love with one of your players, that, that is actually a region. So uh, you, yes, you, yes, you, I do you, know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so you start talking about your friends about a player, and then suddenly you find out he doesn't even exist. Yeah, <laughs> so no, we, we, we've all been there. Right? Well, no, yeah. probably hasn't been there. But I mean, I did. I find I found football manager a really, really helpful way of actually just learning who people were. Um, before you start getting into that regen thing, it, it it broadens. I think it broadened the scope of football for a lot of people in the UK, because it was the first way of accessing, you know, leagues around the world that weren't being shown on television. That weren't, you know, the internet wasn't particularly a thing then, so you couldn't stream games. And you started to develop an understanding of of football regions that were otherwise inaccessible. Um, and I think. I think the the role of video games in accelerating the wider interest in football and also the use of numbers in football can't really be overstated. 
Yeah, yeah, I think... Uh, that wasn't a question. <laughs> that yeah. was just a statement. <laughs> yeah, but it was a statement, but I, I totally agree because also when you see uh, a wonder kit in the game, um, well, there are wonder kits that are coming up really fast. Um, so when you try to spot them in the game and you have the feeling about these numbers, um, you can actually try to translate that more into the real football world. Um, so what you already have with FIFA Ultimate Team, for instance, ask a 12-year-old um, the speed of, uh, of uh, Kulusevski and he can tell you. Um, and that I think that translation is still not done properly um, in the broader football uh, fan experience. Yeah, that's really interesting. So how, how far, I mean, obviously Kulusevski, he's somebody that we put in a sensible transfers video. I can't remember... Who I think it was possibly for Chelsea, but he it was just before I was writing the script as he got signed. Um, so obviously he wasn't available. But how how far ahead of general football knowledge or kind of tabloid transfer rumours are you in terms of identifying? You know, were you aware of him when he rocked up at Parma? Were you aware of him a season before that? Two seasons before that? Um, well, he, I think his benefit was that he started playing professional football at age 16. Back when he was playing at uh, Atalanta, where he played his first match there, at Atalanta in the youth. And then I think we first identified him as a really elite talent uh, when he was already playing at uh, Parma on loan. Mm. Um, but there are sometimes there are players that are... Um, when you see they're debuting at a young age, for instance, uh, Adam Lozek at uh, Sparta Prague, um, then you start following them at a really young level already. Yeah, um, it's like um, Partizan Belgrade have a left winger called um, Filip Stepanovic, yeah. who is, I mean, he's, oh, that's the thing, he comes on, you know, 10, 15 minutes at the end of games and does some amazing stuff, but... That's that's with the eye because the data isn't there. Like he's not playing enough yet to have a sample size that makes sense. So you kind of have to temper your expectations with a player bursting onto the scene and doing some really great stuff as a 16-year-old to think, is this sustainable? Is it going to drop off? What's going to happen? Um, it kind of, it, it can make it difficult, I think, to to carry those predictions through and then get them right all of the time. Yeah, definitely. So you can never be... Um, well, like you have the uh, the uh, Mario brothers, um, Götze and uh, Balotelli. Um, <laughs> they, you, you, every, I think everyone predicted them to have a future like never seen before. Um, but if you only looked at their playing styles, um, Götze scored the winner in the World Cup final. Um, Balotelli, uh, I think uh, he became champion at age 18 or something. Um, but if you only look at the way they played, you could probably not tell them apart a lot from uh, Mbappé. Um, but Mbappé, well, everybody expects him to be one of the best in the next 10 years. Um, Wills Balotelli is, uh, um, I think he's in Italy now. And that, that's always hard because you cannot be right all the time because even your, uh, what your eyes see, um, it's also what the data is telling you sometimes. Who's and someone can have a great feeling? Who's the uh, person yeah? that you've that you've uh, sort of gone out 
the hardest and were convinced that they were going to be incredible but hasn't quite worked out for you? Um, that's a, that's uh, a difficult uh, question to answer. So you're scanning back through lots and lots of players now. Yeah, well, I think, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I don't think you know him, but his name is Rijairo uh, uh, Zivkovic. He's a, a Dutch player um, playing at the FC Groningen um, first at age 16. Scored eight goals in his first six matches or something. Wow. Uh, then made a transfer to Ajax where he started playing and now he's playing in China. Ah. Um, but I think there's also this guy from, uh, he used to play at City, Bruno Zuccolini. Right, yeah. Yes, Argentine defensive midfielder. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. Very exciting. I what you mean. Yeah, no, it is, for me this is exciting. Yes, I thought he would be great as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but now he's playing, uh, oh, he's actually playing in Argentina again. Um, or he's on the bench in Argentina. Um, but that, those type of players, you thought they, uh, they could take over the world. Charlie Musonda, um, he's injured for two years now. Um, I mean, is there a thing with someone like Ajax, which has obviously got such an incredible youth setup and a reputation for developing those players, that that there's almost too many good prospects coming through that actually if you're you know if you're the the left winger who's behind because Zivkovic was a left winger I think right yeah left no. winger and striker yeah. he can play both yeah um so if you're behind him then you might be almost as good but then you're looking maybe at a transfer away when you're 18 and that's unsettling and the system doesn't work for you and is is there almost a a greater danger of wastage from academies that have such a good ability to produce a large number of young players. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Um, I never thought about it, but that could definitely be the case. A little surplus. Okay, well, that bears thinking about, doesn't it? Hey, Giles, um, I don't want to waste any more of your time, but thanks so much for uh, for coming on. We really appreciate it. I think what you do is fascinating, and uh, I'm sure that the listeners will uh, will uh, feel the same. Are you on Twitter? Can we follow you on Twitter? Definitely. It's uh, my name, so in Dutch it's Giels Brouwer, <laughs> but uh, it's probably in the in the show notes. Yes, no, it definitely is. Right, awesome. Okay, well, listen, thanks so much, buddy. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much to, uh, to to Heels Brower for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate his time. My favourite thing about listening to that, and I'm going to leave it in, not because I'm lazy, but because I want people to know how committed Heels was. I could hear him typing so that he was anticipating names when we were talking about them. So he had the information to discuss in the podcast. Isn't that nice? Yes. And and a bit, bit of a football manager moment as well with Bruno Zuccolini and uh, Ricardo Zivkovic. Absolutely, yeah. Both of whom um, I have managed at various points. I found that fascinating. I think it's really interesting, and I think we're going to steal the idea and use it for the Tifo Football uh, YouTube channel as well. Maybe we'll pick some, you know, a few interesting players and say where could they go. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Um, before we go, uh, one time more to remind you that you can get a ninety-day free trial. Uh, by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO90, that's the numbers nine zero, and spend the next three months in luxury scrolling through all of the high-quality, ad-free, fantastic football and other sport journalism that The Athletic has to offer. It really is a a one-stop shop for all of your reading needs, sport-related. That's right, isn't it? That's what I find, yes. 
Do you know, I read that like I was reading an ad. But I wasn't. But you're just, just came out of my mouth. It comes so naturally to you now. <laughs> it really does. You know, sometimes I'm in bed with my girlfriend and I say something and she goes, are you talking to me or are you recording or are you yourself? Are you doing an advert for are the you athletic doing an advert again? For the athletic again? I go, oh, what a lovely, did you have a nice day? Do you know you can get a 30-day free trial? <laughs> Not 30, it's 90. It's 90. Punish myself. Punish myself. Um, it really is worth doing. I know, you know, we go on about it, but um, we're part of the family now and we're so pleased so pleased to be so um if which member of the family do you think we would be me no no like a a tifo what is i mean if they're what are we we're not with are we the sort of the cousin who's moved in (laughs) are we are we maybe like the slightly errant younger brother who is looked at affectionately but also worried about a little bit yeah but is really good at maths yeah i like it um (laughs) what Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's the end. But thanks to uh, thanks to Heels. Thanks to the Athletic. Uh, do go and get your ninety day free trial. Hey, do you know what? If you don't like it, just cancel it at the end. It doesn't matter. It doesn't cost you anything until the three months is up. Um, right. Thanks and thanks, Alex. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, something else. I'm not sure what. Goodbye. Goodbye.